This show is part of the Pika Science Podcast, studying the intersection of video games and science. Coming to you live from a radio tower near you, studying the intersections of video games and science. This is Pokey Science. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is a spooky episode of Pokey Science. It's very spooky. Uh, so spooky that I have a blanket, a stuffed animal, hot cocoa. Uh, there may be a sword and a flashlight nearby. That's not true. Uh, <laughs> anyways, welcome back. Uh, I am Madison and joining me today is... Uh, I'm Ben. Hello. Hey, I'm Brittany. Hi, I'm Chelsea. And so it's great to have you all here. Uh, I, Brittany, we, you and I haven't gotten to hang out and do this for a while. It has been a while. I know. It's been kind of... I haven't... We haven't hung out in person even longer. <laughs> I think the last time I saw you in person was uh, the first surgery and you came and brought me coffee the next morning. Yes, that, I think that was it. <laughs> You're correct. <laughs> Yay. Uh, all right, so let's begin. Uh, we're here to talk about ghosts. Uh, and I just want to start by saying, holy crap, Ben and I were commenting, Paldea, Pokemon, TPCI, you guys did a great job on this game. The amount of detail and, you know, homages and Easter eggs put into this game is just kind of astounding. I don't know. It's astounding. Yeah. They're oh, Halloween eggs to... this time, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Not Easter eggs. <laughs> <laughs> no, compared to some other games, Paldea really knocked it out of the park. Like, Gen 9 came to play. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of the animals they added to were, like, kind of spot on. Like, hey, this is actually from... Not everything. You know, don't come at me with, well, there's no crocodiles in Spain or, you know, don't come at me with that. For the most part, they did a much better job than some of the previous games. We were like, wait, what is that doing in Hawaii? So just putting that out there. This was, uh, I think they did a great job. Uh, So I'm going to ask the question that we need to ask because we're going to try to treat this uh, with as much respect and uh, validity and, while maintaining a scientific approach and outlook of the subject. Uh, And it doesn't necessarily mean we have to be focused on, per se, you know, physical sciences, uh, social science outlook as well. So begin this episode, what are ghosts? So ghosts are souls or spirits of a dead person or a non-human animal that um, we believe (laughs) to be able to appear to the living. So in ghost lore, they're described as like varying things. Um, they can either be an invisible presence um, or a translucent presence or like a barely visible wisp. Um, if you've seen Brave, <laughs> the Disney movie Brave, those little wisps. Um, Willow are wisps are cute. They're, they're adorable, but sometimes <laughs> in ghost lore, they are not always fun and they are like a precursor of bad things to come. Uh, probably means like a bigger ghost is nearby, <laughs> um, but they could also have like a realistic lifelike form. Um, any deliberate attempt to contact deceased spirits is known as necromancy or um, in spiritism, it's called seance. Um, so other words for ghosts include apparitions, haunts, phantoms, poltergeist, shade, specter, uh, spirit, wraith, demon, and ghoul. Um, I am avoiding using a certain word because I learned that recently it has racist connotations. It does. So we don't have to say that word. That's totally fine. 
Uh, I do want to add, uh, you know, and I know we've talked a little bit like, uh, just to add in there some of the language here, we've talked a little bit on the show about like yokai. Um, and I know that there's a lot more complexity on it. If you want to check it out, we did episodes on that in the past. Uh, they are still up on iTunes. Please feel free to check that out. But um, it's kind of hard to fit uh, all cultures into the Western view of this. And I think I, I want to be really careful not to do that. Uh, just because, you know, like, <laughs> the understanding of the world is not Eurocentric, per se, nor, nor, you know, nor does one group better than the other on understanding. <laughs> So the belief in the existence of an afterlife, um, as well as manifestation of the spirits of dead, it's widespread, dates back to animism or ancestor worship. So certain religious practices, funeral rites, exorcisms, and some practices of spiritualism and ritual magic are specifically designed to rest the spirits of the dead. Yeah. So, I mean, and again, these are things embedded into cultural practices and beliefs, uh, you know, kind of encoded into our DNA at this point. Uh, I do want to say the consensus for the physical sciences, at least, is that, uh, you know, there is no evidence of ghosts uh, existing. And I just want to say that for all of my, just to kind of disappoint all of my ghost hunter friends, <laughs> uh, all of my, uh, you know, they, what channel is that stuff on? Is that, is that like, is that Discovery? Is that Animal Planet? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those mm-hmm. like channels. I think. Yeah. One of those channels where you're like, is this really a, where we are these days well i mean there's a lot of stuff that people believe in that isn't you know can't be scientifically proved but that doesn't stop me a b like ice road truckers can't prove them (laughs) but i I swear they're real sasquatch (laughs) could be real i don't know sasquatch is just chewbacca yeah he crashed here I mean, I've definitely had haunted apartments. Um, uh, yeah, you can t- science can say that's not real. That's but what I'm I will saying. Say but like, else. I've had some experiences that I'm like, mm, but I think you might be wrong. Mm-hmm. The only pseudoscience um, I believe in is cryptozoology. Um, there is a Mothman out there somewhere, and I will find him. <laughs> Please I, take me with you. I would love to meet him. <laughs> Podcast spinoff: Us finding Mothman. <laughs> Maybe we're the answer. We're going to find him, okay? <laughs> the truth is out there, Scully. Uh, so <laughs> I do want to ask, and I think this is really interesting here to think about too, like do all cultures have the same beliefs about ghosts and spirits? Or like what about customs or traditions surrounding ghosts and spirits? Like are they all kind of the same or what do we got? So I will say a notion of the transcendent, the supernatural, um, the numinous, meaning super related to religion or spirituality, um, you know, beliefs involving ghosts, demons, deities. Uh, we consider that system of beliefs to be a cultural universal. Um, you can find it across global cultures. Um, every world culture has its sort of way of defining the spiritual, the unexplainable. Um, and in folk religions, these beliefs are often summarized under animism or ancestor worship. So they give um, souls to things that are not just human. Um, the human and the natural world are entangled oftentimes in folk religions. Um, and especially that very often relates back to religious beliefs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, where I'm from in the Caribbean, um, if you if you missed that episode, I'm from the Caribbean and from the Commonwealth of Dominica. Um, but usually as a region, there's a couple of things that we all um, hold as beliefs. So ghosts in the Caribbean are often referred to as du- as duppies or jumbies. 
So they are typically malevolent and cause harm or even just like minor inconveniences to people. While some people believe that the hauntings may have deeper meanings. So like the duppies or zombies are trying to show you something specific that is very important for your life. Um, there's also Dwen. Uh, there are entities that depending on which island you are on, they are either spirits of unbaptized children who have passed away before they could be baptized or they are spirits that enjoy luring children into the forest so that they can get lost after a person has passed their celebra- their life is celebrated in a tradition called nine nights so the spirit what folklore believes that the spirit can't leave the body for nine nights so we need to give it a proper send-off or the family will be cursed so families and loved ones celebrate the deceased and the fact that they are no longer suffering on earth with food and music and dancing and on the last the ninth night um, the family prepares food for everybody coming and the deceased soul finally leaves passes through the food and says goodbye to everybody as they leave the world um there's also all saints day on november 1st so a lot of catholics in the caribbean will um clean off their loved one's headstones plant uh, fresh flowers that the deceased loved um bring in a bunch of candles and light them at the headstone or a mausoleum um pray and also spend time at the gravesite remembering their loved one uh for this celebration and remembrance everyone typically wears white um wearing white dates back to traditions held by enslaved africans um taken to the caribbean and is still practiced in many african countries today uh it's typically a sign of thanksgiving for the life the deceased has lived and remembrance for the life lost and white also symbolizes death and rebirth in many other cultures as well um on my island i know that purple is also sometimes worn as a morning as a morning color unless my mom just told me that because all i had was purple and no white at the time (laughs) mom just telling maybe maybe a little white lie Yeah. yeah There are many other types of spirits in Caribbean folklore, uh, but for the purposes of our episode today, I'm just going to stick with these ones. Well, and I know uh, kind of piggybacking there, like, you know, all, soul, all Souls Day, kind of similar uh, ideal here as, you know, so, I mean, it's, it is like All Saints Day, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, like in Europe, you know, kind of similar thing. We see a lot of uh, traditions, you know, like leaving cakes for the departed or, uh you know, keeping a bedroom warm or, uh, you know, just leaving things in the in the cemeteries, you know, uh, pouring out, you know, holy water or milk. Uh, it's 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 so I don't know, to me, it's just like, it, it's astonishing to see how as a world, like all the customs are unique, yet so similar. And I think I think that's what stands out to me the most usually is that it's like, I don't know, to me, to me, that like gives me the faith in in humanity. That's like, okay, it's unique, but when we boil down to it, we're all still meat bags. Yeah, and I noticed that like certain cultures, um, particularly African and Caribbean cultures, um, as far as I know, uh, are very big on celebrating the life and not just being like having that quiet mourning period. Um, they they typically um, encourage music and dancing, not just to make sure that the spirit comes out. Um, and joins the celebration and eventually leaves, but also so that the the loved ones that they are leaving behind are comforted by how many people found joy in that person's life and in you know are also celebrating that they lived at all with them. Yeah, I know in my family we always have like celebrations of life. We never have funerals when someone dies. 
I just want you all to bury me with a tree. Okay. That's all I want. It's here in, in podcast form. Everyone knows Madison would like to be a tree. <laughs> and we will be doing that. We will yes. be carrying that out. The three if of us, anyone yeah. tries to tell us otherwise, we will pull up this episode. <laughs> well, yeah. And, you know, the fact that celebration of life is not, you know, and, and I know today we're focusing on ghosts and, and spirits uh, specifically. And, you know, not. I know that there are definitely festivals and, and, and celebrations about warding off, you know, evil spirits, uh, but definitely not everything. Um, you know, like in Chinese cultures, uh, a lot of the cultures in, in Asia uh, coming from, uh, rooted from some of the Chinese uh, traditional cultures there. It's the, 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 it's called ghost day in the lunar calendar. It's like the seventh month. I think it's like the 15th day. Uh, and it's like ghost month. And, you know, the idea is that the ghosts and spirits, including those of like ancestors, kind of come from the lower realm. So lower realm kind of being the land of realm uh, or like, you know, uh, known as uh, Dayu. I think I'm hopefully I'm saying that right. Uh, kind of the land of the dead or hell kind of like in this uh, in these belief systems. Uh, and I know in Taoism, Dayu uh, is kind of like a purgatory that serves to punish and rid new spirits uh, kind of for preparing for reincarnation. So, you know, during these festivals, though, like the deceased are believed to visit the living. So family members offer food and drinks and to the ghosts. And, you know, they they burn uh, these uh, banknotes called hell banknotes uh, or other forms of like joss paper, which is like an incense paper. Uh, and as I was reading about this, I found that they use hell money, uh, which is like a modernized form of joss paper. And it's printed to look like actual bank t- notes. And I guess it's a it's a offering to the deceased uh, as a solution to like kind of resolved monetary problems that they might have had in, that carried on to, into the afterlife. And I don't know, it's, to me, it's always interesting to see uh, customs and traditions kind of evolve and shape over time. Um, because, you know, I, I, I think about this a lot, actually, that we don't look at like, I, I know, like a lot of people who celebrate Christmas, that how different it is today, even to 50 years ago. I mean, go back, go back 70 years. There's no, no Santa, like not a, not really a thing in the U.S. You know, go back a hundred years, not really doing trees in houses. So it's kind of interesting to see how much customs can change. So I, I think a lot of time we like to think of them as kind of being more uh, solidified. Hopefully that's the right word. Words. Mm-hmm. Which is not the case. Yeah. Words. Words are hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I am now going to talk about uh, Dia de los Muertos. It is widely observed in Mexico, where it was developed. Um, It can be observed other places. I know, you know, even in like school aged children will often kind of do that in like schools, at least where I'm from. I don't know if it's everywhere. Um, But it includes like honoring the deceased, um, flowers, altars, offerings of food. Um, and beverages that were enjoyed by the deceased um, visiting the graves which is something that we you know Chelsea was talking about as well so another you know thing that you see those commonalities even though things are different you know it's not focused on the dead it is also common to give gifts to friends um, such as candy sugar skulls uh, share pan de muerto which is you know a, a bread family and friends and write lighthearted and kind of you know verses that mock epitaphs dedicated to living friends and acquaintances that's kind of fun i think like so let's celebrate the dead but like also make it fun 
Yeah. And it kind of ties into what we said, you know, there's a lot of overlap in the way that people across the world kind of, uh, you know, uh, celebrate or recognize or, you know, uh, kind of uh, the rituals and customs with spirits and spirituality, which is interesting to think about how, how awesome that is. So I got another question. Oh, I love how it's not that serious too, that we can have fun. Ghosts are not all like scary and death and horrible. Like these are festivals. Well, and you know, the idea is that I, when we were, when I was, when we came, when I uh, came up with the idea of the episode and was thinking about the script, I wanted to do this in a way that we weren't just focusing on ghost lore and more of like, what is the connection to act, you know, to culture and religion and, uh, you know, folklore and mythos, uh, you know, how does it connect there? So, uh, I do have a question though, Ben, I, so like what values do you, uh, cause I know, I know you were looking into this, like what values do ghosts and spirits have to people across the world? Yes. Okay. Excellent question. As someone who's doing, um, cultural studies in my PhD program, I am curious about this question anyway. Um, and so there's an author named Susan Owens. She wrote a book called the ghost, a cultural history, um, just published a couple years ago. And what she says, uh, Ms. Owens says ghosts and especially their appearances in cultural forms, you know, art and literature, uh, they offer a window into what she calls the great changes that over time have made us see the world in new ways. Um, so think of the huge cultural transformations, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, um, the age of technology that we're now living through. Uh, all those times and all those eras have shaped the development of ghosts and like how ghosts look versus what kind of technology is available in any present time. And also how we view technology when seen through a ghostly lens um, kind of makes me think of the phrase, the ghost in the machine, which also makes me think of Rotom. Of course, the Pokemon connection is like a literal example of a ghost in a machine. And also according to Owens, um, ghosts in history and in the present have performed two major functions for cultures. And the first is to scare us. So reminding us of the presence of death. Um, it's a given for all humans. Uh, we are not immortal at this time. And so death <laughs> is definitely later. something. Yeah, maybe later, but and with the current technology, not quite. Um, so we do have to like reconcile with death and you know, we have to deal with it somehow. Um, so ghosts bring that up for us. Um, the second function of ghosts, however, is to reassure us because they kind of give the vibe that death may not be as final or as permanent as it seems. Um, so ghosts are kind of playing this like, you're going to die, but also you'll live on. Uh, and that's an interesting way to think about that. Reassurance. Uh, so I do have an important question, though because there are varying answers about this. <laughs> so are ghost type Pokemon actually dead? Okay, so I think <laughs> I I'm, we're going to get into a specific Pokemon here, but I think um, overall it depends on your definition of what makes something dead or alive. <laughs> because most of these are like collections of souls or spirits or of people who were alive but are now experiencing a different form of life but also they're ghost type pokemon uh, so anyway let's start with poltergeist uh poltergeist in sinisty but also poltergeist um so these delightful tea-based pokemon have 
kind of dark backstories. Uh, Sinistee is said to be made of the soul of a lonely person who died drinking a cup of tea. So the soul went into a cup of leftover tea. Um, and then Poltergeist was formed when a wise but strict tea ceremony master died from exhaustion, um, I think over like a tea set. So his soul possessed the tea set and it became a Pokemon. Um, there's Grieveyard, which is a dog that died in the wild without ever interacting with a human and was reborn as a Pokemon. Um, and Drifloon is formed by like many spirits of people in Pokemon. Um, and the more people it leads away, the larger and rounder it gets. Uh, they're also called signposts for wandering spirits and are seen hold, like children are seen holding on to Drifloon or mistaking them for real balloons end up missing. Can I just say though, like I want to drink tea while if I think I'm near death and become a haunted cup of tea. Like I, that's what I would like for my afterlife. Now, like, look at me, I'm this cute haunted tea set out to ruin your day. Honestly, I would love to be a haunted tea set. Like, just that's what I'm saying. like splashing people with tea. <laughs> just float around and every now and then. If someone bothers me, I splash them with tea, or just like splash them with tea for fun. Which is one of the ways that um, Sinistee and Poltergeist do attack. They they splash people with tea. Which I find very delightful and amusing, which is why I have 50 of them. <laughs> <laughs> Just Let's the say, fact that they called Sinistee. their move Matcha Gotcha. I'm, oh my obsessed. God. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I feel like Sinistee is like the hot that you're warned about on McDonald's coffee cups. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it's causing causing pain. Oh my gosh. So Sinistee's tea tastes bad, but Poltergeist's tea is good. You just can't have too much of it or it will kill you. Okay. Everything in moderation. And there's gourmets who have built up a tolerance so that they can have more tea. Um, so back to the question, though. Like, cause there, there was a whole bunch, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to talk about Bramlin now. Uh, Bramlin is based on a soul unable to move to the afterlife. It's just blown around in the wind. Tangled up with some dried grass and... uh. Now we're a sentient being in the Pokemon world. We also have Yamask. Uh, each of them carries a mask that used to be its face when it was human, which is kind of terrifying if you think about it. Um, and sometimes they'll look at it and cry. Cry for their old alive lives, I suppose. So sad. On a different uh, emotional note, not so much sad as so angry, um, we have Annihilate in the Paldea region. Um, and its Pokédex says when its anger rose beyond a critical point, Annihilate gained power that is unfettered by the limits of its physical body. So I understand that to mean he got so angry that he died, um, <laughs> which is interesting, you know. <laughs> Insert Arnold Schwarzenegger face here. But also yeah, so yeah. angry that he refused to leave. <laughs> Right, he's still out there causing havoc, yeah. He's a Karen. Ooh, Annihilate is a Karen. (laughs) He's even got the bangs. He's got bangs. Uh, uh, Chelsea, Chelsea, I think we found our next sticker. Be careful, I heard that's a slur now. (laughs) Okay. Sure. I'm entirely joking. Ben and I both laughed right away. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Another Pokemon, I don't know 
you know, like Chelsea was talking about the line between alive and dead, it's a very unclear. Um, but we have Spiritum, <laughs> which has been around for several generations now. Um, and Spiritum was formed by 108 spirits uniting together. Um, but then they were bound to an odd keystone to keep them from doing any mischief. I also found out that 108 is an interesting number um, related to ghost spiritualism and religious beliefs because you have to avoid 108 temptations in Buddhism to reach Nirvana. Um, and I didn't know that. So Spiritum yep. has a lot of backstory going on, which is cool. It, it can never get to Nirvana. But what yeah. happens if there's 109 spirits? Like, does one get kicked out? I did read if Spiritum loses a spirit, it freaks out. So it has to have 108 all the time. <laughs> so just like no. unstable? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Nuclear reaction. Yeah. Uh, so also, you know, some of my favorite, like I know fan, uh, Phantom is supposed to be uh, stumps possessed by the spirits of children who died <laughs> while lost in the forest. And uh, Frostlass is a, and I know we talked about this, this ties into an actual yokai, but, you know, the, the lore behind Frostlass being that, you know, she's a woman who was lost on an icy mountain and died and has essentially reawoken as Frostlass. <laughs> So I, I guess the answer is, are they dead? Maybe some of them. We're not sure. So that said, we're here to talk about Pokemon, though. And we want to do a deep dive into some of the amazing Pokemon that came in this generation. And we have, I think we got, we got like five or six, right? We got a bit. Uh, yeah, we got five of them. So we five got some good, good ones. Yeah. So we got some good stuff. So we're going to talk, we're going to start with uh, Polchdegeis. And I'm going to hand this over to, Ch to Chelsea. So... The naming of Poltergeist, uh, the naming of this Pokemon is related to Poltergeist, uh, Poltergeist and Poltergeist. <laughs> poltergeist. Uh, a Poltergeist is a type of ghost or spirit that is responsible for physical disturbances. So um, loud noises and objects being moved or destroyed. Most claims or depictions of Poltergeist show them capable of like biting and pinching and hitting um, as well as tripping people. So they're like that mischievous spirit that... Um, Often when you read a ghost story that isn't exactly scary, but has a little like mischief in it, it's usually a poltergeist that they seem to be describing. They're also capable of movement or levitation of objects such as furniture or cutlery um, or noises such as knocking on doors. Foul smells are also associated with poltergeist occurrences, as well as spontaneous fires and different electrical issues um, like flickering lights. But if you, um, you know, have candles <laughs> way back when your entire house was lit by candles and the candles flickered um sometimes instead of thinking oh maybe it's just the, the wind or draft could be a poltergeist the word comes from the german sorry a poltergeist <laughs> or poltergeist whichever one you prefer <laughs> uh the word comes from the german language words poltern meaning to make sound or to rumble and geist, which means ghost or spirit. So the term itself translates into noisy ghost or rumble ghost, uh, which is very fitting because that is what a poltergeist is very noisy and loud and rumbly it really makes itself known. I think it's a fitting, um, a fitting etymology for them to use for poltergeist and poltergeist because they are rather fun and delightful and mischievous um but also can get very angry well yeah we we've all seen that documentary poltergeist 
I was just going to say, you know how like in like <laughs> scary movies, when somebody's running from the killer, they always trip. Do you think like those killers have their own personal poltergeist to trip people? Oh my gosh. Either their own personal one or they're just like a poltergeist like hanging around watching. And it's like, <laughs> like telling his friends like, funny. be hilarious right now. You know, it'd be so funny. Because <laughs> they always trip. It's got to be poltergeist. Somebody write that. Somebody make that a movie. Uh, they did. It was called Poltergeist. It already came out. No, but I'm just saying about like a sidekick poltergeist to like the main killer. <laughs> Anywho, before I make uh, we're, you know, Carol Ann jokes, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, like I, I remember, uh, not that I don't like talking, not that I like talking about the, uh, the series, but, uh, Harry Potter, uh, had the books has a poltergeist in it. Uh, Peeves, the poltergeist kind of left out of the movie, but like, I know in the books, he's kind of a jack. Like, yeah, out there causing mischief. <laughs> yeah. Very poltergeisty. Complete jerk. Complete jerk. So that said, uh, poltergeist also have, um, Poltergeist also has connection to uh, Sukumogami. Hopefully I'm saying Sukumogami, right? Hopefully I'm saying that right. Uh, and I know uh, these are tools that have gained like kami or spirit, uh, kind of tying back to some of the, the yokai and, and folklore customs uh, from Japan. So the idea is that like uh, Sukumogami, uh, sorry, Sukumogami or yokai like of tools spread mostly for, uh, during the J- Japanese Middle Ages and then kind of has declined in more recent generations. So you're not going to find a whole lot of uh, current uh, beliefs in this, but like according to some of the researchers, Sukumogami was the actual name of an animated tea caddy uh, that uh, Masunaka Hisihide uh, used to bargain for peace with Oda Nobunaga. So anyone doesn't know Oda Nobunaga is noted as the man that unified uh, Japan or the great unifier. So I was actually also excited uh, because of the connections here uh, to, to Kintsugi. Uh, so, which is like the, the, uh, was it known as like what golden repair? It's like the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending areas of, uh, you know, where there's breakage kind of with like a lacquer dusted with um, powdered gold, silver, and platinum. Uh, there, we actually have a piece in our house of this, uh, like this. Uh, and so it, it's, it's kind of uh, cool that this kind of came up because I don't know if any of you are keeping up with, with Ahsoka. Cool, not to know. No Star Wars fans besides me. Uh, <laughs> I just but, don't have time, but I would. <laughs> well, they uh, they actually uh, did this in the the <clears throat> latest episode. It was kind of cool. Uh, so it'll be like two episodes ago by the time this dropped. Uh, so as a philosophy, though, like it treats breakage and repair as part of like the history of an object, and rather you know than something to disguise. And so kintsugi uh, kind of became closely associated with like ceramic vases used for like uh, Japanese tea ceremony. And there's a theory that it originated when a Japanese shogun sent a damaged Chinese tea bowl back to China uh, for repairs in the late 15th century. And then it, when it returned, it was repaired with like ugly metal staples. And um, so it may have prompted uh, Japanese craftsmen to look for a more aesthetically pleasing means of repair. Uh, on the other hand, uh, according to, uh, I'm gonna, hopefully I'm going to say this right, uh, Bakuhan Saoki, I probably butchered the crap out of that, but it, the record of the tea bowl, uh, so it's like the the clamp there. Uh, apparently, this this uh, ugliness was uh, considered inspirational and kind of zen like uh, as it connoted it like connotated you know beauty found in broken things. So it kind of became uh, valued even more because you know these you know the large metal staples which kind of looked like a locus, and so that's why the name was then called uh, the I'm going to say it wrong again, Bakuhan uh, Saoki. I probably said that completely wrong, and I'm really really sorry. So we do have other Pokemon, though. Uh, let's move on. And I'm not going to even try to pronounce his name. I love him, but I, I can't do it. 
um, yeah. So next we have uh, Cerule Edge, which yes, also it's it's a mouthful. Um, and his <laughs> partner Pokemon Armor Rouge, which I don't think I will ever be able to spell correctly. But Cerule Edge is cool. Speaking of like cultural beliefs and belief systems, and we actually missed this one. I'm so sorry to say on our it's all latin to me episode uh because it's very very intensely connected to the history of the paldea region um it being based on the iberian peninsula so cerule edge just based on its pokedex says the fiery blades on its arms burn fiercely with the lingering resentment of a sword wielder who fell before accomplishing their goal um and this it sounds you know wicked awesome but it is based on an actual thing which is called the El Cantar de Mio Cid uh also known in English as the poem of the Cid uh, and it's the oldest preserved Castilian epic poem I did not realize uh in my in my not knowledge um, that other places in the world had epic poems. Um, I only knew about like the old Greek and Roman epics, you know, Homer and Achilles and all of those Odysseus. Um, I didn't realize that other places have epics. Uh, And this is the one from where uh, modern day Spain is. Um, And so this Castilian epic poem, it's based on a true story. It tells of the deeds of the Castilian hero, Rodrigo Diaz de Vivar, also known as El Cid, which I think uh, is translated to something like our Lord, something, you know, high up royalty word. Um, and it takes place during the 11th century, an area, an era of huge conflicts in the Iberian Peninsula. So the story goes, El Cid married the cousin of King Alfonso VI. Uh, her name was Doña Jimena. And the story begins before that with the ex- exile of Mr. El Cid, whose enemies had unjustly accused him of stealing money from the king, leading to his exile. Uh, So to regain his honor, he participated in battles against the Moorish armies. He conquered Valencia. By these heroic acts, he regained the confidence of the king and his honor was restored. So after that happened, um, King Alfonso VI, he marries El Cid's daughters to the princes of the region However, uh, when the princes are humiliated by his men for their cowardice, the princes swear that they're going to get revenge on El Cid. So they beat their new wives, his daughters. They leave them for dead. El Cid is super pissed about this. He pleads to the king for justice. He wants them to be struck down. Um, so the the princes or infantes are forced to return his dowry. They're defeated in a duel. They're stripped of all their honor. Um, El Cid is the hero here. His two daughters remarry to the princeps of Navarre and Aragon, and then the marriages, through those marriages of his daughters, he begins the unification of Spain. And that's why he is so important to Spanish or Iberian folk culture, because he unites all these kingdoms together. Um, And so what does this have to do with ghost types? Uh, The story continues. El Cid and his new wife, Yemena Diaz, live peacefully in Valencia until the Amoravids besiege the city. Um, so Valencia is being besieged. He defeats them. He dies five years later and his death date is listed as July 10th, 1099. So this is like the very end of the 11th century. Um, after his demise, this is where the ghost part comes in still during the siege of Valencia, because they're still being besieged. Legend holds that his wife, Yumena ordered that the corpse of El Cid be fitted with his armor. And that's what Surulage is, is like a reanimated set of armor be reanimated, set on his horse to bolster the morale of his still alive troops. 
And in several variations, most variations of this story, the dead, very dead Rodrigo and his knights win a thundering charge against the besiegers. And so what's interesting is they took all of those influences, all of this epic poem, and they put it into Cerulej. And so he's like this fierce fire, like literally fiery warrior, but he's also like coming back from the grave to defeat his enemies. Super fascinating. And then Armor Rouge, his like partner Pokemon also takes some like French knight inspiration, um, France being next to Spain geographically. So there's, it's really cool, like how much history and inspiration they put into these two characters. I just have one question. Like how long did this battle last? Like how dead was Rodrigo? Like what, from what I read when I was reading about it too, is that like this was uh, when sh- during like his funeral. Okay, like, so the, not the too procession. dead. Okay, yeah. I was like, did they dig him up? I'm concerned. No, like it was like during the procession. Okay, okay, that makes more sense. I was, I was had a moment there. Yeah. So, but I think that's a great connection, and I love it. And I think this Pokemon is gorgeous, and I love it. No, that's super interesting. I did not know any of that history, and that's honestly super cool that they added that all in. <laughs> if only Pokemon Center didn't have a forty-five dollar version of this plush, I would be buying it. I <laughs> uh, okay. So we have we have some more friends to talk about, though. Uh, this one is one of uh, Haley's new favorites. I gotta say. In fact, speaking of Pokemon Center, I just ordered her. Uh, they have a Halloween plush version of this, where it's coming out of a jack o' lantern. And she said that's what she wanted for Christmas. So I got her that and I got Lila Fido, but we're not going to tell them. So uh, <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about Grievered. All right, Grievered. The good, the good boy. <laughs> the best boy. All right. So one possible iteration of Grievered's, you know, folklore is uh, could be based off Pisanta. It's from Catalan Legend. It's an enormous dog, or sometimes a cat, that goes into people's houses at night and sits on their chest, which is would be terrifying. But it makes it difficult to breathe, causes them to have terrible nightmares, and Pisanta is black and hairy with steel paws, but with holes so it can't take anything. Like, I can crush your chest, but I can't take your, the things from your house, at least, I guess. It very much, I don't know if this is related at all, but it reminds me so much of the animated show Big Mouth. And how they depict depression. It's a huge cat that like sits on one of the characters in bed. And it really sounds like this. It does. It could have been like some way to like kind of help express or explain, you know, mental illness in the past before it was, you know, a normalized thing. That's true. Um, The Catalan folklore goes further because they're also another iteration of Grievered potentially is, I think it's just the dip or the deep. I don't speak Spanish, so I don't want to pronounce that wrong. But similar concept. It's an evil black hellhound. Uh, This time it's a little more aligned with actual evil. So it's an emissary of the devil and it's vampiric. So it sucks people's blood. And related to other figures associated with demons in like Catalan myth and folklore, he is lame in one leg. Um, It is said that his evil eyes could be seen in the shadows of the night. And this belief was kind of pushed to frighten the drunkards of the villages and it would prevent them from engaging in even more drinking. So this is kind of like a social keeping everyone in check sort of myth. I, uh, I, I, I love that because like doesn't Grieford in the trailer, didn't it like drain the life of the trainer when it was like previewed and in that trailer, like the person like like just drops. <laughs> Sucking their blood. 
I, I love this connection. Um, so I guess I'm going to take the last thing. Uh, so uh, Santa Campania, the holy company, right, uh, is a deep-rooted uh, mythical belief in uh, rural Northwest I- uh, like Iberia. Uh, so, and like, you know, all the way through Northern Portugal, uh, Spain. And although different versions of uh, the Santa Campania can be found, you know, a common belief is that it's like a procession of the dead, uh, you know, or a procession of souls that are kind of like tormented. Uh, and it wanders through villages uh, or paths of parishes, uh, kind of beginning at midnight wearing white and, you know, hooded cloaks. Uh, so the connection here, though, is that the procession is led by a living person, usually a parishioner uh, of a particular church, carrying a cross or a cauldron of holy water, um, followed by several of the souls of the dead uh, holding lit candles. And that's kind of the connection here is that the souls aren't always seen, but the popular claims is that you the, you know you can smell the wax of the candle detected like as the wind blows or the warmth of the presence and so the living leader of the procession is compelled by a supernatural force uh so in this belief it can be a curse uh, and they go out every night and walk the towns villages and forests but there's no memory of it the following day almost like a you know sleepwalking kind of memory thing but in like the same and they're, uh, because of the living person is not really aware, there is no chance that they kind of will be able to stop doing this because they're not aware that they need to stop doing it. Uh, so <laughs> the curse just kind of enforces that they have to leave this procession and puts them there, you know, kind of every midnight. And because the procession ends before daybreak and the living leader of the procession kind of returns to their bed and with no memory, you know, they wake the next morning just kind of tired or weary. So some people aren't able to see the souls in the procession, but like see the lights, the candle kind of tying into Greyvert here, kind of like floating. And so kind of like almost like Willow, uh, Will-O-Wisp, uh, as we talked about earlier, or uh, kind of the jack-o'-lantern thing. So when I was reading about this, though, uh, <clears throat> it made me think there's a, and this is going to be the dumbest connection ever, but I got kids, so bear with me. <laughs> there is a Disney Christmas sing-along. Uh <laughs> <laughs> that I may or may not have had to buy twice uh, because of a divorce. Uh, and the the version of Silent Night always kind of had this kind of reminiscent, this procession of like ghostly like entities carrying candles. <laughs> and I remember as a kid when I watched it, it scared the crap out of me. But like, I remember Haley just like loving it. I'm just being like, this is the best. <laughs> so kind of what popped in my head right away. <laughs> Thank you, Disney sing-alongs. So I think we got a Bramblin next. Yes, Bramblin. So partially based off tumbleweeds. So plants that have lost their cells dry out and die. And you can see them, you know, rolling around in the wind. Um, It allows them to disperse their seeds, though, after they've kind of lost their life. <laughs> um, If it's Bramblin's typing and ability, the eyes look similar to tumbleweed seeds. And tumbleweeds can be associated with things like ghost towns. Like if you're watching an old Western movie or like some sort of movie where it's a ghost town, you usually see them in the background kind of spinning by. Also, fun fact, Bramblin's cry is very similar to the whistle from the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, you know, like I just mentioned, tumbleweeds are very common in Westerns. Bramblin's described as a wanderer that also fits the archetype of characters in the movie. So good, the bad, and the ugly also helped enforce Bramlin. I was so excited that this last one got a paradox because I have always thought this thing is adorable. 
but always hated how it's how terrible it's been in like any competitive play ever. Um, but it's adorable. And I'm so excited that I got a paradox because it it's like super uh because it's super useful, like, you know, for a lot of the competitive play. And I know this this uh this mon got a lot of great use. Uh so let's talk about the cutest, witchiest, uh scariest as our last one here. Let's go to uh let's go to good old Fluttermane. All right, so Next, we got Fluttermane, which is maybe one of the coolest things that they added in Paldea. Um, it's kind of a riff on Mischievous. Uh, it's one of the Paradox Pokemon, and it has quite a connection to like spiritualism and folklore. Um, so one of its inspirations might be the Busha, uh, which is a word that originates from Iberian or like that area of the world, Spanish languages, and has ties to the Iberian Peninsula. It's brocha in Portuguese or brucha, like with a U or an O. Um, recently, this character has become a lot more popular in pop culture in general because of the show and the game The Witcher, uh, which it shows up there as well. Um, so the Barusha is the Portuguese name for a type of vampire found in Iberian folklore. And according to legends, the Barusha were once humans that through the power of witchcraft transformed themselves into the undead, specifically vampires. Um, it has an array of abilities. One might suspect a typical witch to have divination, hypnotism, reading minds, shape-shifting, um, all are things that I think Fluttermane, the Pokemon, can do as well. Um, hypnosis, you know, mind reader, those sorts of moves. And the, in folklore, the demonic Brusha is impossible to kill, whatever form it's in. It's impossible to kill. It is thought to be impossible to kill, but there are many ways to protect yourself from one. In many parts of Europe, including Portugal, they believe that the Brusha and other sorts of similar malevolent supernatural creatures are repulsed by metal, um, particularly iron. And I find that fascinating because as a riff on Mischievous, they added the fairy typing to Fluttermane, and fairy type is weak to steel type. Uh, so I believe that that is a direct connection to this sort of belief. So, Fluttermane is really cool and interesting um, for that alone, but it also is possibly based off of the Banshee. Now, Banshees are female spirits in Irish folklore who herald the death of a family member, usually by screaming, wailing, like, shrieking, um, which, if you have noticed, <laughs> Fluttermane uh, tends to do a lot of that. Um, Keening is a traditional form of vocal lament for the dead in Gaelic, Celtic tradition. And it is known to take place in Ireland and Scotland. So keening, which can be seen as a form of, ooh, I don't know if I can pronounce this Gaelic, shamnos, I might have said that wrong, I'm so sorry. Uh, singing is performed in Irish and Scottish Gaelic languages. And Irish legend speaks of a lament sung by a fairy woman or banshee. She would sing it when a family member has died or was about to die. Um, even if that person had died far away and news of their de news of their death had not yet come. In those cases, her wailing would be the first warning the household had of the death. Honestly, overall, I think this game did a great job at connecting things that were tied into the actual region that, that it's based on, you know, not bringing in stuff from outside and honestly like i don't know i want i don't think the game gets the props it deserves 
So I have two points to make. One, I checked because you're talking about crocodiles in Spain. Crocodiles do exist in Spain. <laughs> I just had to check. I wasn't wait, sure. Wait, I got yelled at for saying they don't. I looked it up. They do. Okay, well, I don't know what episode it was where I said that and I got yelled at. There were like a bunch of articles about these crocodiles and the like police being on the hunt for these like crocodiles stuff. I don't, they're not native though, right? Maybe they're not native, but they're there. (laughs) But they exist there. Okay, got it. (laughs) Anyway, but also, um, I'm just thinking about how we were talking about the Brucia and them being, you know, vampiric, but also being repulsed by iron, and your blood's like, has a lot of iron. So that's kind of a conundrum. Lots of iron in your blood. There is. So, I mean, I don't know how that works out. Uh, so so Magneto would be the thing to use against Fluttermane. Got it. You heard it here. Magneto beats Fluttermane. Is that like a new form of rock, paper, scissors? What's the third option? Oh, yeah. What beats Magneto? I don't know, but there's got to be a third. <laughs> okay. On that note. <laughs> on that note. Um, no. no, what? Sorry. No, the crocodiles uh, allegedly spotted in Spain were Nile crocodiles, or that's like one Nile crocodile. There are no native crocodiles in Spain. Okay, that's what I no thought. No natives. So just the just the one dude got there. That's what I yeah. Just a stranger. Because I know I think we talked about it in one of the episodes about um, it may have been the Enola episode, and I think Chelsea's actor the one that told me she was like, "There's no native crocodiles in Spain." But I was like, wait, I thought Niall got over there a few times. That's what I no, thought. No, it was just but... like one that someone had supposedly seen. Look at that. So there was a lot of, it caused a lot of fuss. There's no crocodiles crocodile. in Spain, but there's always money in the banana sand. And on that note. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Peace out. We'll see you next time. Love you all.